and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hi, Terry. You feeling any better today? I am. It's just the season. You know, I sound worse than I feel, I think. Good. But thanks for asking. So if you listened to last week's episode, you heard Sarah, a suicide and depression researcher who has taken all the training and knows a lot more about suicide prevention than most people, share that she was terrified and unequipped when her anxiety and depression lured her to the brink of suicide. Her episode, I Didn't Know What to Do, is a great reminder that depression does not care who you are, what you have, or what you do for a living. One tool Sarah wished that she had had on hand is a safety or crisis plan. For those of you who don't know, it's a written plan designed to guide you through a crisis. It's something that you put together before a mental health crisis. It's like a safety net that you can easily access and follow when you feel yourself heading into a dark place, particularly if you're having thoughts of harming or killing yourself. We'll link to templates, books, and some other resources that will give you more details and guide you. We've chosen to explore safety plans at this time of the year because we look at them as a a gift you can give yourself when your mind turns against you. There's a lot of research out there that the suicidal crisis passes much more quickly than you might think. Some studies show that up to 75% of them pass within an hour. So if you have a plan on hand to keep you safe when those thoughts get overpowering, it can really make a difference. Today's guest, Marie, is a certified peer specialist who works in crisis services. In that capacity, she helps people draft safety, crisis, and recovery plans. Here now is Marie talking from her office with Bridget, giving her voice to depression. My own recovery story... um probably began a lot earlier than I'd like to say, but I think I really entered recovery when I began experiencing homelessness in 2014. Um, And I'm I'm doing well now. I'm employed. I have an apartment and good friends and support. Um, But it took me going through a really, a really dark time and to really dark places to really begin to see the light of recovery and how recovery, um, could improve my life. And isn't it amazing how, you know, when you were in that dark, hard place, I can only imagine like all the rest of us that there wasn't much room in your brain to even imagine that you have a job that you love in an apartment and are talking on a podcast, helping other people. I mean, isn't it fascinating how it can actually feel so much like it's never going to change, but it does? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite um, I guess mantras to myself is this too shall pass. I have really bad days sometimes, just really, really bad days. Um, but I continue to work toward having the great life that I want and deserve 
despite the mental health problems that I have. That's what we all hunger for, right? The great life we want and deserve. But depression works to convince many of us that death is the only way to prevent life from being unbearably painful. It doesn't want us to realize the other side of the coin, that it also takes away permanently any and all opportunity for life to get better, which it can and does. And do you have a safety plan? So I have um, a wellness recovery action plan, which is part of Mary Ellen Copeland's um, work that she does. Uh, Part of that includes a crisis plan, which is very similar. But the RAP plan, the Wellness Recovery Action Plan or RAP plan also includes like a daily maintenance plan. So things I I do every day, even on really bad days. Um, It's helped me identify some of my triggers Mm -hmm. and it kind of helps me in every stage that I'm in. So if when we're feeling resourced or well, we can come up with um, the plan that we'll, we'll break down step by step then you've got it and you can use it as a foundation to stand on when you're not resourced to make good decisions for yourself. And it's something that many people do in therapy with their therapist or with a close friend. It's certainly something one can do oneself, but um, the f- I think one of the most salient points is to do it when you're in a good headspace so that you can come up with good options and really reflect on what's worked for you in the past just, you know, like have it, have it in your nightstand written on paper, have it on your cell phone if you're out and about or can't find that paper or can't get out of bed to go get that paper. Give it to, you know, some of the people on your support list so that they have it if you can't even remember that you have it. Yeah. We want to make these plans when we're, we're well. We want to have that clear headspace in the presence to to be able to make a plan that's going to work for us, that's very specific to us, um, and that people can utilize when we're in a really dark place. So I think that's really important. And then the other thing I think you touched on is accessibility. Um, I actually have um, a plan in my cell phone, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like you said, um, just to be kind of a constant reminder. And I also have alarms to remind me to do those things that I need to do when things start to get pretty bad so that I can, you know, if your phone goes off and that alarm's going, it's it's good motivation to to do what you need to do to stay at least okay until things get better. That's such a great use of technology. And I also wonder, like, if your battery on your phone dies or, like I say, if your phone's in the other room and you just don't have the energy or life force at that moment to get up and go get it, I actually think it should be in several places. But I think the phone is a great place to have it as well. Some of the key information to have written down in a plan includes your personal warning signs that a crisis may be developing. What thoughts, images, and behaviors are your personal clues that you're nearing your edge. I think a lot of people don't realize they're sick until they're really sick. It's hard to, um, to, to recognize it because it just becomes you and your norm. So, bam. So Yeah, it took me a lot of years to get to the point where I could understand sort of what stage of pre-crisis. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit, Marie, about your... Um, 
you know, sort of that, that noticing your symptoms, noticing your triggers or your early warning signs, like they're, they're both exquisitely personal and quite global. Mm-hmm. So I, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us what yours are, I know certainly change in sleep patterns, one of mine. Yeah. Um, so I, I used to have a case manager. I don't now, but she used to tell me that she could tell when I was feeling very down or depressed by the number of um, dishes that I needed to wash. Ah. Because when I was having a really rough time, I would just kind of stop doing the dishes. Yes. Um, and showering and, and the laundry. I, I think that, yeah, and laundry too. Um, and just those, you know, kind of tedious day-to-day things. Another big sign for me is if I, I don't want to go to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think there's, uh, I'm kind of sleepy. You know, I wish I could sleep in a little longer. And, you know, that's just kind of a normal day for me. But if I'm like, oh, I do not want to go to work. I don't want to be around people. That's when I really probably need to be around people and need to to start talking to my support system about, you know, things are getting kind of bad. And another component of a safety plan is coping strategies. So this is a piece of paper that you want to speak to you when you need it. So being realistic and reflecting on your past, could you share with us your your coping strategies? Yeah, so I I have quite a few. And actually, over the years, it's kind of become an indoor coping strategies list and an outdoor coping strategies list. Because you live in Wisconsin. Um, Exactly. And there are days where, you know, I'd love to go outside and take a walk or be around people, but it's like negative 20 degrees out. I remember it well. So basic coping strategies um, in my home include like listening to music, making myself a meal, um, you know, trying to take a nap or get some sleep. Um, I love adult coloring books. Mm. I love meditation podcasts. Um, outdoor coping skills, I would say um, going to farmer's markets is always fun. I love um, discounted movies, <laughs> like the $5 Tuesdays. Right. Um, go, just going to see a friend and spending time at their place. Exactly. Um, I love watching football games, so watching the game with friends is always good. Um, even just like a short walk or going swimming. I go to the YMCA, I like to swim. So that can be helpful too. Awesome. Awesome. Your coping strategies may be similar or totally different. The key is to know what action steps have worked for you in the past at different stages in your mental health spectrum. Another component of safety plans is a list of people and social settings that offer support as well as provide distraction from your mental state. Um, Because I find that if I can distract myself when I'm upset and do something that I enjoy, um, in a few hours' time, I typically feel a lot better, especially when it's something that's unexpected that happens um, or something that, um, you know, just disrupted my day for whatever the case may be. So I always ask people, do you have anything that can distract you? Like, can you you just, like, watch a, a silly TV show or you know, what can you do to distract yourself so that, you know, you can, you can sort of give yourself and your body and your mind time to, to get back to a safe place. And I find that a lot of people, myself included, um, really enjoy distractions. So if I'm having a rough day at work, you know, I'll, I'll take that 20 minutes and go get a cup of coffee and sit, um, knowing that that may be what I need to feel 
better and to feel a bit more comfortable in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always talk to people, you know, what, what's going to distract you? Yeah, yeah. Get um, you out of your environment, get you out of your head, away from your urges. Yeah. Yep. Your plan should also include the names and phone numbers of friends, family members, and other people that you can talk honestly with. When you make a plan, let them know what you need from them if you call ahead of time so you don't have to explain anything when you're struggling. Mental health professionals, crisis lines, and hospital emergency room information, including after-hours numbers, is important to write down. And there's lots of templates out there that you can Google, because I think the wording is really important, right? It's like find one that sort of resonates with you and then modify it in your own words so that it does feel like a friend, it does feel like a safety net. Well, and too, like how um, I know some people just want like a one page, quick and easy type of safety plan. And mine personally is a bit more intense because I have hospitals that I would prefer to go to and not prefer to go to people that I do want involved in my care and people I do not want involved in my care. Oh, yeah. Good point. Um, So you know, it has my medication list. So mine's a lot bigger than um, sometimes the ones that I do with people. They prefer just a one page cut and dirty, like warning signs, coping skills, people, and like the suicide prevention number or crisis line number. Yes. Um, So yeah, there's so much out there and you can kind of tailor it to what the person wants and what you want. We're talking about safety strategies that can be used at different phases in your mental health decline. At some point, it may become essential to take steps to limit access to any means that could be used to harm or even kill ourselves until we feel safe and well again. And I'm, I'm still by no means an expert on myself, but um, yeah, so I think identifying those warning signs and then, yeah, creating safe space um, and getting family and friends involved to help you create that safe space Um and reaching out to community resources. There are places that will store your firearm for you until you're safe again. Do you know where those places places are? You can go, a number of gun shops will, um, or like shooting ranges. Also a few police stations will as well. Interesting. Um, you, You know, CVS, you don't even have to ask a lot of questions. You can just take one of their envelopes, toss the pills in there and they'll safely dispose of them for you. So there's a lot of ways that you can make this the room safe and your space safe while still remaining anonymous and not not feeling like you're throwing yourself out there. That's great. That's really good, good suggestions. Keeping ourselves safe in a mental health crisis also involves reconnecting with our will to live, having a list or reminders of the good things in our lives, things we might forget when we're deeply depressed. These could be a powerful reminder to anchor ourselves. Yeah, so this is actually the only part of my wellness plan that I don't have written down. Ah. I actually have like a box of stuff I've collected over the years of things that are important to me. And um, so it includes like cards that people have written to me. It includes pictures of um, a few family members and my cats and my friends. 
It includes um, ticket stubs mm-hmm. to fun things that I want to do, and I like to kind of reminisce on on things I really enjoyed doing. I went to Cirque du Soleil a few weeks ago, and I just had such a nice time. So just like seeing the the stub and remembering how much fun I had with friends was really nice. Um, it includes little gifts that people have given me, like a little stone. Um, or someone gave me like an AA chip a few years ago that's it's very important. It's from someone I love and care about. So I just kind of have this box of things that when I'm having a really rough time, I I take it out and I just kind of go through it. And it sort of helps remind me of my purpose and why I'm here um, and that I'm important. Absolutely. That I'm loved. Hmm. Absolutely. And have you shared or do you plan to share your plan with your support system? Do they have copies of it or? I would say about half of my support system does. And really that's more for practicality's sake than anything. Um, my, I have a close friend who lives only a few blocks away from me. So he knows what I would want because he's probably the first person that can get to me. Whereas my mom and dad don't necessarily know a whole lot about my safety plan because Um, They live in Ohio. And the guy that lives close by to me, he also takes care of my cats. So if there is a crisis, he also knows, like, he's got a a set of my keys. He can, you know, he can grab my mail, take care of my cats, do what what he needs to do so that I can take care of myself. Mm, That's the kind of friend we all need, right? The goal is taking care of ourselves and staying safe, regardless of our current mental state. Yeah, I think a safety plan or or a safety net, as I think of it, really can help combat that sense of I'm all alone in this, you know, when you can just sort of reach out and see a plan that just feels very reassuring and doable to me. And in the interest of full disclosure, neither one of us has done that yet. So we're going to do that together and make sure that we have that before the year's end. That's right. And Marie, I'm so glad that you're feeling well and helping all these people and reaching out and just thriving. You are a great example of how vast the change can be from a hard place to a good place. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marie. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.